Okay, would you open up to Romans chapter 6? We've been asked to uh, give a message on a vision, you know, sort of a burden or a vision for next year. And what I was thinking about was having a clear vision for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. So it's a clear, a clear view vision of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> there's a notion or a belief among Christians that because we're not under the law, that a Christian can live any way he wants to and still be accepted by God. You know, this matter is referred to in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So there is a clear command there that we're not to carry on in sin, that we're to put sin off. It's true that when we first get saved, we turn from sin, and we're repulsed at anything that would offend a righteous God. Why? Because... He has come to live in us, and we are made partakers of his divine nature. Don't go there, but 2 Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you've been made a partaker of the divine nature. And that's why when something comes up that's objectionable, you turn away from it, like a, like a poisonous snake. Although we do not share that notion that a Christian live, can live any way he wants to, we do sin after we're saved. And that's, we do sin. You know, at first the awakening when you get saved is fresh. But as the time goes by and as the enemy attacks, what happens to that resolve to fight against sin? It weakens and we get tired of fighting and we begin to allow sin, especially our besetting sins, to take up residence. We stop fighting it. We lose resolve to fight and we live a life of defeat. We come to church and we hear the preacher warn us with great passion but to no avail. Change, victory is for someone else but not for me. In the Old Testament in the Song of Solomon 2.15 the Bible says take us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines for our vines have tender grapes. The little foxes Spoil the vine by taking the tender or the new grapes, preventing the vine from producing fruit. For us, the little foxes is sin, which we are allowing into our lives. Just small compromises, like a, like maybe a film or a program, maybe just a little bad language, but not too bad, or accepting an invitation to maybe a club or a party with the intention of not staying too late, but you find yourself doing something you know is not right, or watching something you know you should not watch. Have you ever been caught out like that? And you hear the verse ringing in your ears, 2 Corinthians 6.17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. But the problem is you're in there. And then there is our besetting sins, the sins that keep tripping us up, like anger, lust, pride, selfishness. And just when you think that all is well, you know, the enemy attacks and you find yourself defeated again. You fall again. You're, that sin takes over. The Apostle Paul went through this inner battle between the flesh and the spirit. He described it in, in detail in Romans 7.18. If you just look there with me, in Romans 7.18. He said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. 
For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more, more right to do it with sin that dwelleth in me. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had that same struggle with sin that we have on a daily basis. He struggled as we do. He struggled so much that he eventually cried out in Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says in the next verse, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But notice that he did have this struggle. He did have this, who's going to sort out this sin inside me? And he gives the answer in that verse, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is the victory. You know, Paul had a clear vision of the victory of Jesus Christ. He had a clear vision. I was just thinking about a clear vision. When I was at sea, you know, you go out, you run into bad weather. And the ship would break into a, into a wave and this, this, this water, all the water would cascade up onto the bridge, onto the windows in the front of the bridge. And you can't see a thing. You're blinded. You're blinded. But in the center of the bridge, there is this called a clear view screen. And a screen that rotates at high speed. And no matter what falls onto it, it falls off. Okay? So the place to be is right there so you can see what's happening. Paul had a clear view, vision, of the fact that someday he was going to stand before God and he was going to be perfect, perfected. He was able to look down the line past all his faults and failures, past all his victories and defeats, and was able to see himself standing before the Lord. And in Colossians 1, 21 and 2, and it says, And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now had he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. And that's what's going to happen. So don't let sin, don't look, keep looking at your sin. Look at the victory that's down the line. And let that then help you to serve the Lord. Heavenly Father, I cry unto you, Lord, and ask you for your guidance today, Heavenly God. Uh, just leave me just to preach what's your word and what you want me to say and all the other preachers, Lord. Let your spirit come down upon us and fill us, Lord. That what we will say will affect the people here tonight, Father. And we're not trying to preach with knowledge or what we think we know or what we, or what we think we understand about you, but what your word says and it spoke to us, Lord. So lead me to right now, Lord, to speak your truth, Heavenly Father. I ask you this, O God, in Jesus' name. So, if you have your Bibles, which you can please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and verse 7. Tell my message is vision of man. But we're taking it a different way. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth, not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Well, kind of like introduction to this. How do you, how do all of you view people? In what way do you judge them? How do you see them? Do you see them as people or, you know, weird, strange? What's going on? Do you see Christ in them? If you look at me up here, do you see this 17-year-old kid or do you see Christ in me? Do you have, or do you look at each other and think, I'm wearing a shirt and tie, so I'm holier than them. Have this kind of holier-than-thou attitude. Is that how you are? Because see, if I give you a little bit of background of this chapter, 
Saul's messed up. He hasn't, he's basically done all wrong. He's in trouble. So God has now chosen David. And Saul, Samuel's mourning. He's like, oh no, he's just so troubled. Then God says to him, stop mourning, cut that out, stop that. Go and anoint the, one of the sons of Jesse. But see, this verse was, what this verse struck me the most was the fact that it's not looking, it's about, that we shouldn't look at each other on the outside, but Christ looks at us on our hearts. You see, what is our focus? Generally speaking, our focus is the outward appearance. You might say that's all we have, but is it really? Look back in the verse, and you go in the lower part of the verse says, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, to be honest with you, we could say that's all we got. I can't really go beyond Brother Eric. I can only see his outside, his exterior. I can't see his inside, I can't see his lungs, I can't see anything. I can only see this. But see, the outside seems to be all we have, and that's kind of it. But see, the thing is that we look at each other on the outside, and that determines our respect for people. Even though the Bible says we should not be a respecter of persons. Isn't that kind of interesting? Because you know what? Brother Dan is wearing a shirt and tie. He looks great. He's very good. <laughs> he looks fantastic. So therefore, I'll respect Brother Dan. But Brother Dan came in with, you know, cut jeans. I might be like, whoa. Brother Dan, oh, you got some new style going on. But it's kind of, but that's kind of what's going on. That's kind of what happens. You see, someone will walk in, and I have this illustration. Someone will walk in, maybe with a snapback on their head, and they're wearing tight jeans, and we're kind of like, you're weird. We probably look at them, kind of give them the weird-looking stare, kind of like, you're, I think you're in the wrong church. We don't wave our hands like this, and woohoo. We don't do that. But then someone will walk in with a certain tie and look so holy, so wonderful, and we accept them because we because they look so great on the outside. But you know what's kind of funny is that just because someone is wearing a shirt and tie, someone is wearing a dress, doesn't actually mean they are spiritual. What's kind of interesting is that the person who's wearing that hat, you don't know what he's done. You don't know his heart. He could have sold his clothes to help those who were in need, but he came to church looking at that. But you know what? His heart is right with God. You see, don't look at what people look at on the outside. Look at what God wants you to see, which is Christ. Because if you're not seeing Christ, then you have a problem. Because if you're going to keep judging by the outside, then there's going to be a problem continuously. Because see, the problem is, just because someone dresses great on the outside doesn't mean anything. Because to be honest with you, their entire being could be filled with darkness. I remember the simple Sunday school illustration is it's a clean mug on the outside, but when they show them the inside, they're like, ugh, that's disgusting. No, I wouldn't drink out of that. And that's exactly how people's hearts are. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 23, chapter 23, verse 26. Matthew chapter 23, and verse 26. And this is one of the verses that Barry was using uh, as scenes. And I just thought it was really cool. It says, The blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup, a platter, and the outside of them may be clean also. The funny thing is that our vision of people is so tainted. It's like we judge them but forget ourselves. I'm not saying there's certain cases you have to say, see certain things and say, okay, that's wrong. Like a child does something wrong, you have to say it's wrong. But sometimes we're going, <laughs> I don't do that. I'm better than you, I'm better than you. But you're forgetting. <laughs> if we look at ourselves, we're actually all under the wrath of God. It's actually only because of Christ that we're even made to even be free. Rather, if it wasn't because of him, we'd be just like them. 
You gotta remember that. Because you may sit in church with your shirt and tie. You may sit in church singing songs. You may sing in church preaching and doing different things. But you know what? You're not any better than those people. Because if it was just one mistake, if it wasn't just that one person that told you about Christ, you'd probably be still out there. You'd probably be dead. You wouldn't even know any difference. So you gotta remember, don't look at their outside. Look at their hearts. Because you know what? We may see home, someone homeless on the street. And we might go, oh, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to go near them. But you know what? I see Christ in them. I see someone that can get saved. But you see, we shouldn't see color, nationality, anything like that. We should see Christ in those people. Because in Galatians 3.28, and especially in this case which relates to Christians, that there's no more Jew nor Gentile nor bond and free, but all have become one in Christ. Every single one of us. When you can be got saved, you don't see Dean as the black kid who's 17 years old. You see Christ in Dean. I don't see Brother Eric from Northern Ireland. I see Christ. And that's what you should see. If you don't see that, you need to repent and ask God to fix that. Because if he doesn't fix it, you're going to have that attitude about everyone. So then if he's someone who doesn't look particularly nice, then you won't preach to them. And then they'll go to hell because you don't want to talk to them because of why they look. But do you know my conclusion is this? When Christ saved you, you should have had a different vision. How you view people is not the same anymore. It should be that I see Christ in people and I see a potential person who can get saved. Because someone saw Brother Pastor Craig, we love Pastor Craig, someone saw him as a soul that could get saved and he got saved, that's why we have this church. So don't look at people's outside, but pray for them and ask God to help you see their, what God sees, which is Christ in them. And that is my message. Thank you. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, let's turn to 1 John 4. First John 4. We'll look at verse 8. <coughs> First John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. <coughs> First John 4, 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And verse 11 <coughs> says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 11. Beloved, let, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Hopefully this uh, 
these words will help us in our our vision for ministry, for loving other people, for um, compassion. So what, what if what if I had no compassion for the poor? What if I had no compassion for the lost? What if I grudgingly labored in ministry? I labored in Christ, for Christ only because of a duty or self-righteousness. What if that's all I had? Just uh, guilt. That's my only reason for doing things. What if I only ministered to avoid feeling guilty? So in contrast with that, contrast that with what if what if God put his compassion for the lost and for the poor into my heart? My heart would soften. I would rejoice in being the bearer of the good news. I would rejoice in being the bearer of God's love. I would be blessed by being a blessing. I would grow in my desire for the lost sheep to come to my shepherd. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians thirteen three. First Corinthians thirteen three says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I think that's kind of what God, what Paul is talking about here when he talks. I'm talking about God putting His compassion in my heart. If I just do it for, to to make myself feel like this great person, no profit whatsoever. Isaiah 64:6. Let's turn to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Filthy rags. That's the value of our self-righteousness. Now don't take me wrong when I say this. God does not need your money. 
got that everything. Just provide whatever he needs. He doesn't need your money. But his face shines on generous hearts. God does not need your ministry. He can do it himself. But he allows us to partner with him in ministry. What a partner. God cares a lot. So often, God sheds his life for others through us. What a beautiful design. God gives us the blessing so we can give it to somebody else. So we're blessed by being a blessing. The giver and the receiver both are blessed in the exchange. Human souls are all that you can take with you to heaven. Measure your wealth not by money, but by all you have for which you would not take money. Daniel 12, 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Heaven will be better than we can imagine. But there are some things that can only be done in this life. Some blessed things that only can be done in this life. open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, please. I'm going to call this little message, Trusting in the Lamb. Trusting in the blood of the Lamb. So Genesis 4, verses 3 and 4, if we go back about 6,000 years to the beginning, we look at Cain and Abel. So Genesis 4, verse 3, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also bought, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. <clears throat> and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So we see here that Cain brought the best of his fruits, his vegetables, his, the works of his hands. But Abel, being a shepherd, he brought a sacrifice. We're going to see this a bit more in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. If you go there, please. Hebrews 11, 4. And this is the hall of faith. And we see here that Abel was actually saved. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. So Abel, by trusting in the blood of the Lamb, was righteous. And so we have it today. We have the blood of the Lamb in Jesus Christ. When we trust in the blood of the Lamb, we find righteousness in the sight of God. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 35, go there very quickly. Matthew 23, 
It says that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel. Again, it mentions righteous Abel. Uh, so we see Abel was saved because he went not his own way, he went the way of the Lord. And in John fourteen six, what does it say? It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we can see there that there is only one way that God will accept, and that is through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, by trusting in his work and not our own. So, you know, you hear people at work say, ah, you think you're the only right ones and everybody else is wrong. Well, we might not be all right, but definitely God's way is the right way, and every other way is the wrong way. Okay? So there is only one way to get to heaven. Amen. And that is the way that God would accept and through his son, Jesus Christ. So the world, you hear the songs of the world, you ever hear this the song says, I did it my way. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> and that's what the Bible says. Everybody's doing it their way, isn't they? And they're, they think that they're proud about it, you know. But what does Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of his own. So you see, Cain did it his own way. It was not the right way, and he suffered for that. He ended up in hell. But righteous Abel trusted in the Lord's way. He got saved, and he's in heaven right now. So, um, you know, when someone says, I'm going to do it my way, what does that translate to be? It says, Lord, accept my works. You must accept my way. This is my best effort, Lord. You've got to accept this, you know. And if it's not good enough, well, nothing is. You ever hear that? If, if you won't accept this, I can't do any better. This is the best of my works. Cain, you know. So we've got two religions in the world, really. We've got one, the way of Abel, and the other, the way of Cain. God will only accept Abel's way. He will reject Cain's way. So Cain's way is man's way, my way. Abel's way is God's way. Yeah? So which way are you going? You know, I'm sure most people here are going the way of Abel, trusting in Jesus Christ. So um, that's that's really it. I, I just thought it was a nice, it's a simple message just for, you can use this to witness to other people. And, uh, you know, so we can gladly say, and our song would finish something like this, I did it his way. <laughs> Amen. You have to excuse me, I'm sucking a mental sweet. I have a very, I've got man flu. Okay. Do you know, almost 30 years ago, there was a guy I know, I forgot his name, but I remember him so well, he was about so high. He went out to Germany to work, and um, he was in a pub or a nightclub or something with some friends. And he said, I had enough guys, I've got to get up early for work in the morning. And he came out of the pub, crossed over to the edge of the road, he looked right, and he stepped out, bang, Mercedes taxi.
killed at stone dead. His vision was the wrong way. He didn't have a vision for the taxi coming down the road. His vision was also marred by alcohol. There's all sorts of things can happen with the wrong type of vision. So there could be vision types, or various types of visions for all sorts of things. What kind of visions? You can have dreams about wealth or that house that you've always wanted. Definitely not my house. Or things to plan for the future, like having kids or a holiday or buying a car. You can have a vision for things to give you direction for what you're involved in and various things. But I think um, there are two types of people in this world without a vision. And one of them's a Christian, and the other one's the unsaved. That's the two type of people that I say. I can't go into this in depth because I've only got a few minutes. But anyway, Christians Christians can be without a vision for the loss. Unsaved people are going to hell because Christians haven't got that vision for soul winning. It's a vision for those that are going to hell. I think it was with William Booth who said to his friend, do you hear it? He said, what? He said, all those feet, they're marching to hell. And they stopped and they looked around them and they saw all the people walking past them all marching to hell. They had a vision for people going towards that pit. And we can walk through a crowd of people and not see them, that they're on the road to hell. We can be in a road or in a room with a crowd of people. We can be in a shop. We can be just about anywhere, having a cup of tea or waiting to pay for something. We can see, we can be with people and not see them as people going to hell because our vision is wrong. And I know we can't constantly look at people and say, you need to get saved. But we do have to be very conscious of it and have a vision for people all around us that we meet every day, everywhere we go. Even the people here that we, I, I see various people talking to them and they get tracks and so on here in this centre. So um, we need to have a vision for lost souls. And do you know, not, I'm not going to say all Christians, but there are a lot of Christians with no real vision of who Jesus is. Otherwise they'd be doing something. Um, about the lost souls that's going to hell. We heard tonight about we need to have a vision of Jesus, of who he really is. Do you know, um, these guys, and I think you found out about us through a mission board. Well, God was the first mission board because he sent Jesus out. Jesus was the first missionary. God has a vision for lost souls because he doesn't want any to perish. The disciples didn't have a proper vision of who Jesus was. They feared for their lives. In Matthew 25, it talks about when they're in the boat. And his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And sometimes I wonder, is that the way our fear is? When we see people, I can't talk to them, I'm really frightened. Am I going to perish? No, I'm already saved. They're perishing. Mark 4.38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on the pillow. And they wake him and say unto him, Master, curse thou not that we perish. Is that the way we are? Is that the way we are as a church? I don't think so. But we could do better. We could have a better vision about souls. <clears throat> but what about the unsaved? They have no vision for the future. Well, they have visions of all sorts. But I'm talking about the future of eternity. What have they got? Their view, vision is marred by all sorts of things. Soul sleep. When you die, that's it. Or there's no God, there's nothing. But what is their vision? I worked with teenagers for nearly 30 years and I'm still amazed that some young people have no fu uh, vision for the future. They've no goals. Short term, mid term, long term, they've nothing. In fact, it's just tomorrow when they get their dole money. 
and at the weekend, I'm going out to party, and that's it. That's all they live for, that one cycle. They have nothing. Young people are prone to lack of vision, and I think it was Alice that I overheard talking to somebody, but I think someone said something about there's been 16 suicides in the last month in Ireland. But I've worked with young people, uh, teenagers, for 30 years, and because they're la- they have a, they're prone to lack of uh, having a vision or setting goals for themselves, uh, they have um, the suicide is, is what comes of that apathy, emptiness. They have no direction of life, and those are just some of the problems because they lack a vision. Bible tells us that people without a vision will perish. But what about the perishing? Because we lack a vision. So who are perishing? People that don't have a vision for Christ and who he is. A wrong vision or no vision of who Jesus is will cause many to perish. And that is the Christians. If we have no vision or wrong vision. And the same applies to the unsaved. If they have no vision or wrong vision. I heard someone saying about it's not working to heaven. It's not about good works. They don't have a vision of salvation, nor of their state before God. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye all shall likewise perish. They're perishing. I know we're sitting here tonight and we're talking about people perishing, but we have to be thinking of the souls that's going to hell. They need a vision of who he is. I need to uh, view myself at one time. I need to have a vision of who I was before God, and I did. And I seen God, well, I, I talked with God, and I recognized that I was a sinner. I saw myself for what I really was. I repented, and I cried out to the Lord, and got saved. The unsaved need to do the same. <clears throat> John 3.15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a lot of perishing in the Bible. We need to pray and preach the gospel to the unsaved. They need a vision of Christ. Acts 13, 41. Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days. A work which ye shall no wise believe. Though a man declare it unto you. You know we talk to people. And I think it was this morning I heard someone say. Some sow and some reap. And I remember um, I was talking to Barry oh, maybe a year ago. He said. Do you know what I can't, Barry said, I can't remember anybody getting saved from knocking on the doors. And someone else in the church said, we're just called to be faithful. We plant the seeds, and if someone else reaps it, they're going to heaven. And when we get there, Christ will say, see, you had a hand in his salvation. What can you take to heaven? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done with Jesus will last. So whether you're preaching and sowing or whether you're reaping, we're doing it for Jesus. That's the only thing we can take out of this world with us. We can't take anything physical with us. So they don't believe, a lot of these people, what we're telling them. It's in front of them, but they can't see it. Their vision, just, they just don't have it. First Corinthians one eighteen, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Foolishness. See, they're perishing. Because they're, they're foolish. They don't believe in the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. But unto us which are saved. You see I am saved. It's the power of God. Preaching of the cross is the power of God. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness.
but is long-suffering to us, Lord. Not just to us, but all mankind. Not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. We have to get a vision. And where does it start for us? Do you have a devotional time? If not, why not? Do you have it in the morning time? If not, why not? Do you spend time, do you make that effort to get away from the madness or the things in life? Spend it alone with God. Because when you start talking with Him, God, I need a vision of souls and how to reach them. And when you start reading, He starts speaking. So we need alone time with God. Starts with prayer and reading His Word. Amen. That was good. I appreciate all the preachers. I really do. I'm just going to take one minute, though. Turn to Romans chapter 10. One minute. And then we're going to sing and go home. Romans chapter 10. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't have a vision. (laughs) Can I give you one? Let God give you one. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Or maybe you thought you didn't have a vision, but you, you care about souls. Amen. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Brother, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was Paul's vision. And, uh, you know, that was his burden that was on his heart. That was the calling upon his life. That was what he was focused on. And even as God, he says, that's my prayer to God, that Israel might be saved. You know, I'm not in America, I'm in Ireland. So my countrymen are Irishmen. People that are here. This is who I want to be saved. My heart's desire is that Irish would be saved. The people that live in this country would be saved. You know, Paul lived out that vision. Obviously, he was a little bit different than some of us because he went everywhere, all into Europe, and he he preached the gospel, amen, planted churches. But we can do something right here where we are. We can live out that vision right here where we are. Uh, Look, people in America or in Africa or some other continent or country can't win people in Ireland. We can't. We're in Ireland. These are our countrymen. So I want to give you a vision uh, tonight. These are my people. This is where I live. And I want to see them get saved. Paul lived his vision out. Paul encouraged others to have that vision. He had a whole troop with him when he went out. Church planting. And finally, think of this. We're saved because somebody had a vision. We're, we're here saved tonight because somebody had a vision to go knock on my door. I was not one at the door, but in a sense I was. Because that's where it started with a door knock and my neighbor talking to me about Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's a, that's a good vision we all need to have. And I thank the preacher tonight. That was a, that was excellent.